This is the SPFL 42 show, covering every division in Scotland. Delighted to be joined on the SPFL 42 by a very special guest, the man who is a regular on the show. He's the King of Capolo, Andy Ritchie, and today is his 65th birthday. Andy, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks very much, Calm. I thought you were going to introduce me there as being your old friend. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd get the 65 in at that time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on that, Andy, the, what, the first thing I want to ask you about it is a lot of people talk about age as being a number for you. 65, it's a, a milestone birthday, but... Do you feel 65 or do you still feel that the Andy Ritchie who was banging them in at Capolo all those years ago? Depends how much alcohol I've got inside my body, Calum, at that time. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't know. When I, when I was a young lad, you know, when you got to 65 years of age, you became a pensioner and it was a long, long way away at that time. Uh, and I used to look at guys who were maybe at that age group and think they were ancient, you know. So hopefully nobody does that with me the now, but... It really depends what end of the bed you get out in the morning, what age you feel, you know. Sometimes some of the old aches and pains are there and sometimes they're not. But hey, you're right, it's just another number, pal. It is another number and, and for you, this year has been an interesting year. Lots of people have been stuck at home, but you've been working hard at Morton on the commentary duties with Jerry McDade. The feedback's been been very good. How much have you enjoyed being able to watch football during this strange time? Well, when I look looked at now, Calum, I've been I've been very very fortunate like that when this uh, twin TV came along at that time because of this uh, ridiculous lockdown and situations. You know, you wonder whether you were ever going to get back to see. And I, I, and I really feel for the people, you know, and I, I mention it often in commentary, like I feel for the people at home, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but it's a, it's a very poor substitute having to watch television when you're used to going out and supporting your team on a Saturday and enjoying the day together with your friends and family and speaking about it before and after the game and discussing it with people and you know, we've taken all that away now. People sit in the comfort of their own living rooms now with a cup of tea. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's something, but it's not exactly what people would want. And it's been spreading on this awful lockdown now for so long. And I think it's just beginning to rub people thin. But I think I said to you many, many months ago, Callum, this is the only game in town we have at this moment in time. So hopefully me and Jerry can... You know, brighten up the afternoons, the Saturday afternoons or the midweek games for a wee while while we're watching our favourite team like that. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just in the background as well, the television's on and I'm just watching Nicola there discussing what's going to be happening to us from now on in. So hopefully, hopefully it'll not be too long before the good folk down there in Greenock and surrounding areas can get back in again, get back into Capolo and, and enjoy the football that they did before. We announced that we were going to do this show and there's so many questions that have been sent in from people uh, via email, via tweet for, for yourself and I'm going to get to those questions very shortly but two major issues I want to get your opinion on um, since the last time we spoke about. 
the the title race in the top flight, Rangers look as if it's it's a matter of if uh, sorry when they win the title rather than if they only need seven points. How impressed have you been with the relentless nature of Steven Gerrard this season and his team? Yeah, it's been very impressive. Uh, they, they, they more or less run away with the, the league now uh, and have been for quite a considerable length of time. Let's make no mistake about that. Rangers have been the best team in the league this year by a country mile. No ways about it. The improvement they've made over the last couple of seasons has, has been quite extraordinary. You know, and their, their stuff in Europe is just out of this world as well. You know, and you, you credit where credit's due like that. They are the best team in the country, playing the best football, scoring the most goals, and they deserve to be winning the league. Make no mistake about that, Callum. You know, they've run away with it, and they've been very impressive. And they give you the look of a team that have more to come as well. Uh, which would be exciting for Rangers supporters right through at the end of the season. And they'll be hoping that to carry that on next year as well. They certainly will be, and, and the carrot of Champions League football will be there when they seal the title. They'll be, I think it's the third round the qualifiers they'll be in, and they'll be seeded as champions. So it could be a return to, to Europe's top table for them as well. In addition to, to, to the impressive nature of Rangers this season, as we speak this week on your birthday week of all weeks, Livingston and St Johnston are preparing for a National Cup final. As someone who's working for Ton TV, it has a has a great affiliation with Greenock Morton. How does it make you feel when you see two, let's be honest, provincial clubs, albeit clubs that are well respected, in a National Cup final? Yeah, it's fantastic as well. If I had said that to you at the start of the season and we're opening day show, Callum, that that would be the League Cup final. Livingston and St Johnson, you would have sent men up with white coats to take me away at that moment in time when I'd made that statement. So it's absolutely fantastic. But they've been great. Livingston have been a breath of fresh air. Make no mistake about that. They've went in there, they've took the big boys on. Uh, they're prepared to have a go. They've turned in some fantastic results throughout the whole season. What a, what a league season it's been for them as well, you know. Uh, and St Johnson... Duffy, hard to beat team at the start of the season. They just found their way over the last eight to ten weeks now. And uh, by all accounts, I haven't seen them live, but I've seen them on TV playing some decent stuff at times as well. So, yeah, it's a big, big boost. And it must be a big boost for, for other, like you say, provincial clubs to see the efforts of, of, of St Johnston and Livingston to achieve that, to get to Cup Final. That's, that's out with the old firm. That's what everybody hopes for, Callum. That's what keeps people going along to games on a Saturday. You're living in hope that this is going to be your day. I remember a few seasons ago at Morton when they, they got to the semi-final of the League Cup with Aberdeen at Hamden and they made a game of it that day. I wouldn't say that at any time they looked as if they were going to, going to win it, but they made a game of it. And it, Once or twice during the game, if they'd got a lucky break, it might have been different for them. And uh, I remember the boost that Morton got for that. And it's the same for most provincial clubs. These are the days that you support your club for. And these are the days when they do come along that you really get there and, and enjoy it. But because of this lockdown, it's television for the Perth boys and up there at Livingston as well. If I was to ask you to put your neck in the line, who brings the cup home? I would love to see them do that up there at Livingston. I'd really like to see them. I know they've done it before. But I'd like to see them do it again like that. It's been a fantastic season for them. The new manager coming in like that, Davy Martindale, under the cloud that he came in and, and, and the, the look of suspicion to a lot of people around about. Uh, 
the guy was was always going to have a hard job up there. Uh, but he's obviously a wee fella that knows what he's doing. He's, he looks and he sounds like a real football man. And I'm really hoping that in his first crack at this, uh, his first season in management like that as well, they can go over the line with Livingston like that. I wish Johnson all the best as well. You know, I wouldn't want big Stuart Cosgrove giving me a phone, laying it on the line down the phone to me that I don't like St Johnson. But I'd just like to see Livingston win the cup this year. It'll be interesting to see what happens and we've got a preview show um, coming out in the next couple of days covering both teams with a neutral perspective from Rory Hamilton who'll be comment, uh, commentating in the game so tune in for that one but as I promised so many listeners have got their questions in for you I'm going to start with Colin who gets in touch to ask a very straightforward question what was your favourite goal of your career? Oh, nice one eh? Good starter when it's like that uh, my favourite goal, my favourite goal would have to be the goal that I scored at Celtic Park. That was not a goal, Callum. Uh, I know you'll, look, you'll think I'm cracking up here on the other end of the phone. Uh, it was in a very, very bad night, midweek game at Celtic Park. Uh, being beaten 1-0 at the time. And I had a shot from, somebody said 35 yards, I didn't count it out. Uh, against a gale, would you believe, that night. The weather was absolutely terrible. I managed to score with it. And the linesman, for some unknown reason, lifted his flag and gave offside against Jimmy Tolmey away on the right-hand side at the jungle end. And uh, I was away celebrating like a lunatic when I looked over and saw the referee and the linesman together and they chalked it off. The goal that wasn't a goal was probably as good a hit as I'd ever had in my life. But I never get the opportunity to celebrate it or do anything like that. It was chopped off. Uh, and I, the other goal that I like as well, it's a, a big, big favourite of mine. Uh, it was a goal that I scored against Celtic in the opening day of Morton's first season in the Premier League at Capelo. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't win the game that day. But uh, it was a goal that I get great pleasure in. I'd started to move myself on the halfway line, got up to support the game inside the 18-yard box, Managed to get good control on it in a turn. And uh, if I don't say so myself, a cultured finish. <laughs> Not usual. Uh, and I really enjoyed that goal that day. Because it was our opening day of the season, big crowd at Capelo. Uh, and this was our this was our start of our travels on our Premier League season that year. And uh, it certainly gave me a lot of confidence for the rest of the games coming up. Uh, and the hope that there were more goals like that to come. We've got a question in from someone you played against, a famous name in Scottish football. It's from Alex McLeish. I worked with Alex on Football Pass a few weeks ago and I told him you had a big birthday coming up and we were recording the show. And the question Alex has got for you is, why did you save your best performances for the Dons? Whoa. I should big Alex asking that question, you know. Maybe if he'd have got close to me a couple of times during all the games early years ago, he could ask that question himself, <laughs> Callum, eh? <laughs> but of course you'll not tell him that, you know. Uh, no, I always, I always seem to carry a fair share of luck and uh, a fair share of opportunity against Aberdeen. I enjoyed playing against Aberdeen. Uh, I, scored, I scored my first ever League Cup goal for Celtic at Aberdeen as a 17-year-old boy up at Petaudry uh, in a 2-1 victory, so... I, I, I always like to play against Aberdeen. They were a good side. 
you know, they had one of the best defences, there's no doubt about that, in the country at the time, and they went on to prove that, uh, with Stuart Kennedy and John McMaster and uh, Big Alec and Willie and Jim Layton like that. And they were always good games. Aberdeen were a good side, a good footballing side. Uh, and it wasn't a Big Alec, I was against or Willie or any of them. I just liked to, to knock it into Fergie now and again because, you know, at that time, you know, people thought that at Manchester they got a rough time with him and the newspapers didn't there and everybody thought that that's the way he was. He was ten times worse when he was at Aberdeen at that time. It could have caused a fight in an empty house, you know, so it was it was it was nice like that, you know, when we were able to take on two the big team. And they were the big team in the league at that time. They were challenging the Rangers and Celtic for everything, you know. Uh, and I, I quite enjoyed playing against them and also, as I say, quite enjoyed making my mark against them as well. But uh, they were tough games, but I enjoyed them. A question from Gavin, and this is one that will, will really shine a light on your career for, for many of the younger listeners. His question is very straightforward as well, but it's, it's a point that, as I say, will resonate with so many. How did it feel to win the Scottish Football Writers Footballer of the Year as a part-time footballer? Uh, I remember at the time uh, being quite surreal Callum at that time because you know nobody had done it before like that you know it was Rangers and Celtic and that's the way it worked out with the international team I think one year 1974 the World Cup they were they were awarded the the players of the year because of that as well so it was unreal I had never been I'd never been to the the presentation as well the big footballing dinner eh, before and I, I, I remember feeling quite nervous about that night, uh, being there where your, all your colleagues were there and, and all the players that you'd played against. And everybody in Scottish football was there that night. You know, and it, it wasn't until I arrived at the hotel that night that I really realised that we were all there because we were making a presentation to myself. Uh, and it, it was a bit unreal. But to be honest with you, and I've said it often, and you know, I'm going to say it publicly now, you know, I was the best player in the country at that time. You know, at that time, I was the best player. I was scoring goals. The team were doing well. We were forcing myself into situations that we hadn't been in for a long time, Martin. Yeah, I was, you know, I'd got my first year of goals. and I'd really hoped the previous season to get to, to Argentina like that, uh, with a World Cup squad. Not, not as a player, but part of a squad that I might have been able to contribute something. Uh, as in maybe scoring a goal there when we needed it or, you know and, and I'd had a great spell there were no two ways about it it was the best couple to three years of my life at that time footballing wise uh, and it was a situation where even although I knew in football I could stand up with the big boys and play at that time it was still surreal that night to, to have 500 people a who's who of Scottish and British football there you know standing on their feet applauding in before I got the presentation uh, and I was fortunate that night, you were allowed to take a guest, and I took my dad, God rest him, and he really enjoyed it. I remember the night when, when we got there and they introduced upstairs to the VIP lounge. Uh, everybody was coming in, they waited till I was last, and they were going to invite all the VIPs were in there. The gentleman with the big long coat and the bow tie and bowler hat introducing everybody. And he took his gavel and he banged on the door, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andy Ritchie, and they all stood to a man to applaud me in, and it was my dad that was there that night, his name was Andy Ritchie as well, and he stood in the middle of the hall that night, like a, like, like a cat caught in the headlights of a, a car oncoming, 
had to go in and, and lead them to the side, you know. But I remember feel, feeling really proud that I'd actually achieved something there with my dad that night that was going to live with us for the rest of the time. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And, and as you say, you were the best player in the country at that time. The award proves it, you know, and and something that I know you've been asked this question a lot of times, but John Bleasdale, who's a co-host in the show, as you know, just has has a question that I think irks many, not just Morton fans, but football fans, when, when he asks, how close were you to a, to a Scotland call-up and how do you feel that it never came for you? Uh, well... When Ali McLeod was managed there prior to Argentina, Ali had phoned me a couple of times in regards to, at that time, we played home internationals, Callum, uh, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. And that was always a precursor for international football throughout the course season like that. You know, they would use these home international games to blood new caps. And Ali had spoken to me a few times on the phone uh, about... And picking me and joining the squad, and he did. He did for the nineteen seventy-eight. He wanted me to come into the squad, and at that time, Ali had to put all his recommendations for quad recommendations in front of the SFA committee, and they weren't sure whether a part-time player would would look good on the sheets of the international team. And at that time, Ali had said to me, "You know, if you can." If you do, at that time the papers were full of this club and that club coming in. He says, if you do manage to move on to a full-time club like that, Andy, I'll certainly cap you. I'll certainly give you an opportunity to prove whether you can play at international level or not. So at that time, the only thing you had in your bowl was the fact you go back on the papers again and you started to complain that you were being held back and it was time for a move and all that kind of nonsense that happened in newspapers pre-Bosman. Uh, and I was trying myself, I must admit that, to, to get that move that would, would accommodate Ali being able to, to pick me. He didn't pick me for the home internationals that, that year because of that. And uh, Derek Johnson came in in my place and scored a few goals in the home internationals like that. And Derek went to Argentina. And the following season after that, I was still playing well. And Ali was always on the phone. You know, have you not got a move? Are you not, are you not getting a move? Is there nothing in the pipeline? Uh, and at that time, you know, Hal had mentioned that it would cost a Hal Stewart, it cost a million pounds to move me from Morton at that time, you know, and people just didn't think that I was worth that money. Probably quite rightly so, you know. Uh, so it never materialised like that, but that was as close as I probably came well in the cloud. I did get a call up to join the squad to go to Belgium under Jock Steen, but... Uh, Mr. Steen decided that he wanted me to go and play as an overage player when we got to Belgium, play as an overage player in the under-21s. Uh, and we had words about it. And he won. I never get picked again. Uh, so probably the closest that I did come, come to the full squad would have been with Ali McLeod, Cal. And just on uh, Jock Steen, that's a question that again so many have sent in. Graham sent in, as has Grant Campbell, who's a host of the show as well. They they both wanted to know what was your relationship like with with Jock Steen because obviously you you were aware of him obviously from from Celtic and what he'd achieved there and and obviously Scotland as well as you've mentioned. Uh, well, when I went to Celtic Park, my relationship uh, at the time when I was in there was was very good to me. With, with the manager, Mr. Steen, at that time. and uh, Well, he actually played me. He played me in the first team as a 
I was 16, I wouldn't have been 17 until the February, so I, I think I played in the January. So it was a month before my 17th birthday that he gave me a man's reduction at the first team. And at that time at Celtic Park, you know, that had been unheard of. You know, great players like Danny McGrain and Kenny Dalgleish and other players in there at Celtic Park, David Hay, the they all waited till they were 20, 21 before they started to get filtered in the team. The only guy that was in front of me in that manner was a, was a guy called Brian McLaughlin, uh, who played at Celtic Park as a young player. And Brian McLaughlin was one of the best young players I've ever seen in my life. And he played in the first team at 17. Uh, but it'd been unheard of for, for kids to come in and play like that. You, you did your time and you did your apprenticeship. Uh, so we had a great relationship. He had me, he had me in the first team squad at 18. You know, the big thing for your older listeners, and your old, I'll remember that when, you know, every year when the squads were announced, there was a squad picture we'd got, and, and I was in them till I was 18. So, and that, you know, that was because the manager wanted these three the players that he seen for the future. So I had a great relationship at the start. It all changed a bit when, when Mr. Steen had the car crash, and he'd be out for 18, 19 months like that. And... I had worked my way back in the pecking order by the, by the management that were there at that time. Celtic had signed a few other strikers as well. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't getting as much game time as I'd had before. Uh, and by the time Mr. Steen came back to Celtic Park at that time, I think he basically looked at my situation and became very frustrated about it all. And I had developed a terrible habit about the whole thing as well. I had, I had a terrible attitude to the whole thing at that time. You know, it's, People have always said it was, you know, it was Jock Steen's fault. It wasn't Jock Steen's fault. It was my fault. You know, I didn't knuckle down. I didn't work hard enough at Celtic Park to get back into the way it was before. For all these players that they'd signed for money and everything else, I should have been saying to them, "Listen, you're in my spot. Move on. Move over a wee bit. I'm coming back through again." And I never done it. Uh, and the only person that really suffered due to that was was myself because of that. I should have. I should have. I was far too young, probably that's what it could come down to as well. I didn't really understand the importance of it at that time. You know, I felt as if uh, everybody was letting me down. And all that was happening was I was letting myself down. So really a wee bit between the two like that. My spell at Celtic Park, I didn't I didn't play as many games as I should have done at Celtic Park because of Nikal, not because of anybody else. Uh, once I'd moved to Morton a few times internationally when Mr. Steen went in there, you know, it... it it could have been a wee bit more uh, benevolent to me at that time, but uh, it didn't, and he probably felt that he needed to be proved to be correct, you know, and he probably was to a certain extent, but uh, my time at Celtic Park was a letdown because I instigated that. I should have I should have done more. Another famous face gets in touch to wish you a happy birthday. It's Craig Burley. He says, happy 65th birthday to Andy. In his time working uh, out with playing as a scout and, and coaching, he could always spot a player. How important does he think it is to watch a player live in the flesh in the modern day rather than just rely on data that so many clubs do? Well, I've always worked that way. As I said to you before, Calum, I'm a technological dinosaur. Data's important, but what you see is much more important as well. Uh, you know, when I was working at the time when I met Craig, first of all, at Celtic Park, you know, I brought him up to, to Chelsea, and I used to tell him, you know, it wasn't a Stamford Bridge, I watched them play. 
I watched him play in an English Cup game against Blackpool at Blackpool. I watched him play in a League Cup game against Oxford down there. You know, I chose to go down there and see exactly how he would, he would cope with that kind of stuff. I watched him at international level, at the top level as well, so I knew exactly what he could do. Uh, so it's very, it was very important for me as a scout. I think, you know, over the years I've developed an eye for it, but I did have an eye at the start as well. You know, I got offered the job as scout at Celtic Park with Tommy Burns at that time. I had no, no experience of that. So what I used to take out to all the games, and I attended many, many games all over the world, uh, I used to take my own way of doing it and say, well, how would I like to see that fella playing in the hoops? You think he would make an impact? Has he got the ability? Has he got all the necessary requirements to come and play with a big club at Celtic with the pressure that's on round about like that? Will he excite people? Will he excite me? And once I'd worked that out, you know, you had to go back again and look two or three times after that and I would pick my, my bases, like I said, with Craig Burler there, when I knew he had to go there and put his foot in and battle his way through Blackpool and Oxford. And I thought, well, he'll do for me that fella, you know. Uh, and, well, what, what a career he had at Celtic Park. All too short as well. But what a career he had at that time, under difficult circumstances, with a pressure on Celtic at that moment in time. And that's how I always felt that, you know, if you go out, you take your time out, you go and watch the games, and if you like it, see if it's got more to offer for you as well. There's no point in spending money if they're not going to come in and offer you even more to what you've seen. And I was fortunate the vast majority of boys I brought to Celtic Park like that did that, Callum. So, eh, very important, very important. But it's, it's in the eye. You know, football's in the eye for people as well. There's a lot of times that I've saw things and disregarded it and thought, well, I disregarded Neil Lennon at Crew Alexandra. <laughs> I ended up signing Paul Lambert. So, you know, some of you win, some of you lose. I've had that conversation with people who have said, you know, you know, with Lennon, with Lambert a better player than Lennon, you know, my only answer to these questions, I'm there, I shrug my shoulders and I tell people they can make their own mind up about that. Interestingly, Davey, another another listener gets in touch. Second last question for you. He gets in touch to ask, what is your opinion on modern football compared to when you played? Do you think the game is any better and any healthier now than it was back then? Uh, good question. It's a, it's a different, different ball. 65 now, Callum. It's a different game altogether than when I played it. Absolutely different game at every level. From the lowest club up to the biggest international team in the world. The different, different ball game. It's played in a different way. There's a different mentality to it. Uh, it's more tactically aware, as everybody can see now, because of the input of modern technology into the game. Uh, it's taken away a wee bit of it for me, I must admit that. It's taken away a bit of the magic of the whole thing. And especially over the last year, 15 months that we've had, we having no crowds in and on television. There is sometimes, and I hate to see it, and I never ever thought in my life I would, I do get a bit bored with it. Uh, and one of the main criteria to that is, Callum, that when I was being taught how to play football as a 14-year-old boy at Celtic Park, I had it drummed into me at that time that you only passed the ball back when you couldn't pass it forward. And that came to one of the greatest managers ever. You know, 
And many, many times he told me that you only come back and pass the ball back when you can't pass the ball forward. And that stuck with me my whole career. You know, I always thought the first thing I did when I got the ball was to try and be proactive and get and, and get to where we need to be as quickly as possible and do something constructive when we're there. I think 50% of the modern day game now is played with the ball being played back. You know? But get that statement up as well. You were always told when I was 15 as well, don't give the ball away. Which was pretty difficult as well if you were always trying to make forward passes. You know, but if you really sat and, you know, look through some of the stats now that are produced by by people about football now, you know, there's a lot, the vast majority is negative. Possession is negative. You know, where you roll the ball in your own half, 25 passes before you cross the halfway line. Negative to me. Uh, I like my game played with good pace and good action to the whole thing. Great to see Manchester City back playing the way I like to see the game played as well. Don't give the ball away, but if you've got a forward pass, make the forward pass. Uh, there's a lot in the game that I do like as well. You know, the modern day strikers have got everything to their game. That everything to be the modern number nine, you need to do everything very well. The defensive play in the game now is fantastic. There's some great defenders, people who read the game and intercept passes now and make clean contact tackles because you have to do that now. Breathe on somebody heavily now and it's a free kick. Yeah. And the midfield players, some of the most creative midfield players we've ever had. And, you know, I've been lucky enough through the years to, to watch the, the Messi's and the Ronaldo's on the telly and all the great players, all the great World Cups when I was a wee boy. So I've been blessed that way as well. But uh, I'm just a bit worried about the Premier League this year as well being in England, which is probably one of the biggest leagues in the world. But they really need to get people back in down there as well. That's what chases teams on in times when they really need to, to, to do something and pick up a result. It's your home fans that will drive you on to do that. And that's been sadly missing in the football this year. It certainly has been. The last question and statement we've got is from your good friend and colleague Jerry McDade and I echo everything he said in this message. Happy 65th birthday to my old friend Andy Ritchie. You were a pleasure to watch, you're a pleasure to work with, but the greatest pleasure for me is to have your friendship. I totally echo everything Jerry yeah. said there, but he stuck a wee cheeky question in at the end as Jerry likes to Will you be saving me a piece of that birthday cake of yours to go with my coffee the next time I see you? Uh, well, I'll need to keep a big bit from Jerry, you know. Uh, uh, that, that was nice of him to say that, you know. I must, I must owe him money or something like that. Maybe he just doesn't want to fall out with me, you know. Uh, that was nice. Thanks very much, Mr Jerry McDade. Yeah, I'll be keeping a, a bit of birthday cake, you know. Uh, not a big bit, I've seen a big bit. Not a big bit, because he's not a big fella, you know. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I enjoy working with Jerry down there. Jerry's a breath of fresh air. Uh, always has been from the day I know I met him. He's up for everything. He loves his football. And he's, he's doing a great job down there at Capelo. You know, I remember when we were asked to down at that time to, to do some work in the hospitality. Jerry was a wee bit unsure about it all, you know, but after one day in there around about walking people, he, he exactly got the bug for what the place is all about. Uh, and I, I enjoy working with Jerry. Straightforward guy, no messing about. Uh, and he, he enjoys what he's doing as well, you know, for people that don't know him. It's, it's written all over his face when he's doing the commentary for the games. He really enjoys them and he likes the two to get 
to get actively involved in it, which is great for me as well. So that was nice of him. That's nice of him. When I see him again next week when I'm done, I'll need to say something nice about him now. That'll take me a week to think about something nice to kill. <laughs> Well, as I say, just on behalf of myself and, and, and all the listeners, thank you so much for your time as always. And, and I echo everything that Jerry said. I've, I've been lucky enough to, to get to know you over the last year or so. And I can only speak from experience and say that for someone that achieved so much on the park, for someone that is an icon of football at the club they played for, you're the most humble and down-to-earth person I think I've ever met within football and that's the biggest compliment I can pay you. So keep being yourself. Happy 65th. And, and as I say, I look forward to when these times are lifted and we can all be back watching a live game of football or at a live event together. Uh, that, I'm really looking forward to that myself, Cal. And I think I've said to you before, I've always enjoyed when I've been down there at Kaplow. You're good people down there. There are no two ways about it. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate that at that time when I played down there, the people took me to their heart down there. And all these years later, 40 odd years later, uh, it's still the same as well. So I'm blessed that way. Uh, I had my couple of moments in time down there. And thankfully, I've been able to share the couple of moments of footballing time down there with good people in Greenup. You included, my friend. Take care and God bless. And I'll catch up with you the next time we see each other at the football. <laughs>